We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 379 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Thursday, August 18th, 2022, the day after the return of Jack Del Rio to the mic. Yes, (laughs) the commander's defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio, a.k.a. JDR. Uh, He on Wednesday morning did a post-practice press conference at commander's training camp, his first public words since his post-OTA practice press conference on June 8th when he made the infamous dust-up comments. Uh, Jack on Wednesday morning was back behind a mic. MC Jack was at the mic. Grandmaster JDR was at the mic. And you know what? Zero controversy. Jack did a great job of shutting down questions about the dust-up situation. He said basically nothing. He gave reporters basically nothing. I tell you, if Jack's commander's defense this coming season shuts down opposing offenses the way that Jack on Wednesday morning shut down questions about the dust-up stuff, our team is going to have a dominant defense. Hello and welcome to a Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. I have a lot for you on the show on what Jack Del Rio had to say on Wednesday morning. Uh, Next segment, I'll deal with the dust-up stuff. You'll hear what Jack was asked and how he responded. You also will hear comments from Jack's boss, Commander's head coach, Ron Rivera. And then after that, I have a lot of conversation for you about the Commander's defense off a number of things that Ron and Jack said at their post-practice press conferences on Wednesday morning. Uh, We will discuss what Jack had to say about the firing of Sam Mills III as defensive line coach and the promotion of Jeff Scanina to defensive line coach. Uh, We will talk about the Commanders at edge defender, given that Chase Young is expected to be out for at least week one. Uh, You're going to want to hear who Jack made it a point to immediately bring up, and you're going to want to hear Ron again have trouble with the name of a certain commander's edge defender. Yes, the pronunciation 
of this player's name is an issue for our guy, Ron. Oh, I have some scheduled fun for you on the show. Uh, we will examine the commander's third down defense off comments from Ron and Jack. Uh, Ron said some good stuff about corner Benjamin St. Juice. Jack said some good stuff about linebacker Jamin Davis. Uh, Jack explained this idea of him wanting the defense to demonstrate humility. Uh, so much to get into, but somehow, some way, we're going to be getting into all of it because that's what we do on this podcast. Uh, also on the show, I have a proper national segment for you off a 3-2 loss to the Chicago Cubs at Nationals Park on Wednesday afternoon. The game did feature a really nice performance by Nat starting pitcher Corey Abbott, uh, but the game also featured yet another base running blunder by the Nats. Uh, and I want to talk about something that the Atlanta Braves just did. Again, uh, it's something that the Nats may well have tried to do uh, but have never done. Uh, and I'll talk Orioles late in the show. Uh, disappointing loss for them on Wednesday. 6-1 the final at the Toronto Blue Jays, despite another very good outing from starting pitcher Austin Voth. What must the Nats be thinking watching Austin Voth kill it for the O's? Uh, so I have a request for you. Uh, I need you to vote for me. Yes, vote Goldie. Uh, no, I am not running for office, not yet anyway, uh, but I am in the final four of the DC Sports Fan Bracket Challenge for, for local media people. Uh, somehow I've made it to the final four. Uh, this is an NCAA tournament style affair. It began with 32 people. Uh, I am a three seed and I have made it to the final four. Uh, I had no idea that I had made it to the Final Four until Wednesday night, but I have knocked off six-seeded Chris Miller, seven-seeded Joe Beninati, and four-seeded Smokin' Al Koken. I'm wiping out NBC Sports Washington people. Uh, my Final Four matchup is with six-seeded Steve Zabin. Yeah, me versus Zabe. Uh, votes are cast through the Instagram story feature via at dcsportsfan underscore com. Uh, you can find out more at dcsportsfan.com. And uh, there you go. We have made a run to the Final Four. This is like Maryland in 2001 and 2002, but will my run end like Maryland in 2001 or Maryland in 2002, uh, there's a difference. Uh, we shall see what happens. Uh, two quick items on the commanders. Uh, running back Antonio Gibson at Wednesday morning's training camp practice was working as a kickoff returner. Uh, so, so the messaging to him from Ron Rivera continues. Although I would add this, Gibson actually could be quite good as a kickoff returner. So this may also be Ron trying to get the most out of Gibson uh, in addition to punishing him for his fumbling and running style. Uh, and also, the Maryland State Lottery and Gaming Control Commission on Wednesday morning awarded the commanders a sports wagering license. Uh, yes, they got the license. So the commanders are planning to put a sports book at FedEx Field. Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Jeff on the Commanders, writes Jeff. Always enjoy your podcast. Thank you, Jeff, continues Jeff. I try not to be negative about the Washington Commanders organization. However, your and others reporting on the team's ongoing mishandling of a growing list of issues is hard to ignore. I don't want it to affect my fandom, but I am afraid that my fandom is starting to be affected. Your reporting on the Jason Wright comments over the weekend got me riled up again. 
I listened to the game on the app on Saturday. I have long been a fan of listening to the radio broadcast of the games. I do the same for the Nationals. Nothing could ever come close to Sonny, Sam, and Frank. I really like Bram as a play-by-play announcer for the team and think he does an incredible job. I've got mixed feelings on London Fletcher's debut, but I think he'll improve. I'm sure Julie Donaldson is a wonderful person, but does it make sense to have a vice president of the organization on your radio broadcast? It seems that Bram and London and last year D'Angelo do a great job of calling games. Julie's role seems to be over-the-top grandstanding. She doesn't fit in. During Saturday's game, they invited Sean Springs into the booth. After Sean had been interviewed about his time as a Redskin, he joined in with London in commenting on the game. There was an excitement in their exchanges and a chemistry of having two former players in the booth that we haven't had in years. Maybe if Julie was relieved of her booth duties, she could do more things representative of her title, like policing her boss's Twitter feed and making sure editors are hired to correct misspellings. Living in North Carolina, I've gone to the previous eight training camps in Richmond. I would have loved some explanation to the fans on the camp's move and why so few got access. Heck, why can't the team complete the rebrand and get the website and app updated? Check out all of the WFT references on the attached screenshots that I just grabbed. At some point, someone has got to be held responsible for all of these many miscues trying to remain faithful but it's getting hard. Uh, thank you for the email, Jeff. Hang in there, my friend. Hang in there. Uh, as far as the radio broadcast goes, so Bram Weinstein is a friend of mine. Uh, I worked with him for years. I've known Bram for 20 plus years. Uh, Bram's a really good guy. Uh, Bram actually owns his own podcast company, and I talked uh, with Bram a lot prior to starting uh, this podcast. I think that Bram does a very good job uh, as the radio voice of the team. Uh, I know Julie Donaldson. Uh, she's a good person. I have nothing but nice things to say about her. I'll say two things, though, about the Commander's radio broadcast. Number one, I do think that three-person booths are tough. Uh, yes, the team of Sonny Jurgensen, Sam Huff, and Frank Herzog is iconic, but generally speaking, I think that two-person booths work better than three-person booths, uh, just like I think that two-person radio shows work better than three-person radio shows. When you have a three-person booth or a three-person radio show, you have three people trying to get their stuff in as opposed to two. And it becomes too much. Uh, To me, the ideal broadcast team is a really good and knowledgeable play-by-play announcer and a really good and opinionated analyst. And the two of them have a really good rapport. Like That, to me, is the ideal way to do a radio broadcast team. Uh, Number two, The radio broadcasts for the team lost a lot when Chris Cooley left. And yes, uh, Cooley is a friend of mine too. So yes, I am biased. Uh, And also, I did think that D'Angelo Hall, as the analyst on radio broadcasts, was pretty good. But Cooley was groundbreaking, okay? Cooley's ability and willingness to break down plays and explain what was truly happening were outstanding. He made the radio broadcasts of Redskins games must listen. And him being gone has hurt the radio broadcast. There's not a doubt in my mind about that. Uh, actually, another former Redskins tight end, Logan Paulson, uh, has emerged now as like the go-to former player for the team with the best X's and O's insights. And I actually think that Logan should be considered to be 
the in-game analyst for Commander's Radio Broadcasts. Uh, Logan's really good. I just had him on the podcast, episode 370, in case you missed it. Uh, email from Luke on the Nats, writes Luke. Al, not sure if you've mentioned this, but one of the real unfortunate circumstances with the Nats season is that MLB just instituted a draft lottery. Despite being the worst team in the league, the Nats aren't guaranteed the top pick in the 2023 MLB draft. The Nats' timing has been off on a lot of things lately. Uh, That said, let's go O's, (laughs) because they slap right now. Uh, Thank you for the email, Luke. Uh, Yeah, so per the new collective bargaining agreement between MLB and the MLB Players Association, uh, so the CBA that was arrived at this past March, we, starting with the 2023 MLB draft, will have a draft lottery determining the top choices in the draft. Uh, The first six choices will be determined by lottery rather than by the reverse order of the previous season standings. Uh, The teams with the three worst records from the previous season will have the best chances to get the number one overall pick. Each team will have a 16.5% chance of getting the number one overall pick. Uh, And uh, the lottery will include all 18 non-postseason teams. Uh, The other teams will have declining percentages in reverse order of the team's records uh, down to 0.23% for the non-playoff club with the highest winning percentage. Uh, So yeah, I mean, the Nats have picked a bad time in which to be really bad because they, as the worst team in MLB, are not guaranteed to get the number one pick in the next MLB draft. It's amazing with the Nats. Uh, They picked maybe the worst season ever in which to win a World Series because of what happened the following season with COVID. And they have picked a bad season in which to be the worst team in MLB because of the start of the MLB draft lottery. Now, that said, draft order in MLB drafts doesn't matter a ton, but obviously, you'd rather have the number one pick uh, than, say, the number six pick. You'd, of course, also rather never have it be that you're the victim of the negligence of someone else. But if that has happened, know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C., and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients' harm more than the offers benefit the clients. This is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial, and that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Uh, Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. Heck, take a case that was just concluded. Paulson and Nace in July won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly one Point eight million dollars. Uh, this to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Uh, you may have heard about this. Paulson and Nace defeated the U.S. government. <laughs> uh, again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, 
Call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment, yet you're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. All right. So, Commander's defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio. He, on Wednesday morning, did a post-practice press conference at Commander's training camp. First time that Jack spoke publicly since the dust-up press conference. Uh, The dust-up press conference happened this past June 8th. Uh, This was a post-OTA practice press conference. Uh, The presser followed the Commander's final OTA practice of the 2022 offseason. Now, Jack, the previous Monday night, June 6th, had put out multiple political tweets. Uh, One of them was a response to a report on the then-upcoming hearings on the riot at the Capitol on January 6th, 2021. Uh, Wrote Jack, quote, would love to understand the whole story about why the summer of riots, looting, burning, and the destruction of personal property is never discussed, but this is triple question mark, hashtag common sense, end quote. Uh, Jack then, at that June 8th post-OTA practice press conference, got asked a lot about his political tweets and his politics, and he actually handled the questions pretty well until the end of the presser when he referred to the riot at the Capitol on January 6th, 2021 as, quote, a dust-up, end quote. And that, of course, led to Jack Del Rio becoming a national story. Uh, The president of the NAACP, Derek Johnson, uh, he on June 9th put out a statement saying that it was, quote, time for Jack Del Rio to resign or be terminated, end quote. Commander's head coach Ron Rivera on June 10th issued a statement in which he announced a $100,000 fine of Jack Del Rio. Tucker Carlson on his show on Fox News. Tucker Carlson tonight on June 10th did a segment on the Jack Del Rio situation (laughs) and called Ron Rivera a, quote, fascist moron, end quote. Yes, fascist moron. You could say that the Jack Del Rio dust-up situation became a bit of a thing, Uh, a bit of, ironically enough, a dust-up. So Jack had not spoken publicly since June 8th. And in fact, he, during the weekend of June 11th and 12th, deleted his Twitter account. Well, Jack is the defensive coordinator of the Commanders. He couldn't stay publicly silent forever. And he, on Wednesday morning, did do a post-training camp practice press conference. And he handled the inevitable questions about the whole dust-up situation really well. Uh, That is to say, he said nothing. Jack was asked multiple questions related to the dust-up situation, and he very smartly said nothing. His press conference started like this. Uh, You'll hear an exchange with Commander's Insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com. All right. What's up, everybody? Hey. Start with the elephant in the room, I guess. Last time you were in here, it ended with with a fine. What what was that process like? What did you learn from that? Um, So happy to be in camp right now. Um, I think the team is doing a great job working on preparing for the season. And, um, you know, everything that I'd like to talk about 
should have to do with football and playing good defense. All right. And that right there from Jack Del Rio set the tone for the rest of the press conference. One of the best linebackers in Redskins history, London Fletcher, had a catchphrase. Linebackers set the tone. Linebackers set the tempo. Well, Jack Del Rio is a former NFL linebacker, and he right there set the tone for this press conference. Here was an exchange with Commander's Insider John Keim of ESPN about Jack now being off Twitter. And obviously, I know you want to stay with football, but I am curious, you know, you made the decision in June not to to take yourself off of Twitter. What went behind that decision and, you know, just what went behind, what was behind that? Uh, Personal choice. There you go. Perfect answer from Jack Del Rio. Quote, personal choice, end quote. Why'd you get off Twitter, Jack? Personal choice. Boom. There you go. Two-word answer, vague answer, vanilla answer. How about this exchange with Commander's Insider Matthew Paris of the Washington Times later in Jack's presser? Take a listen to this. And if I could go back to just the June thing, and no, it, like that same month, Jim Jordan brought up your name in the congressional hearing. Just what did you make of him doing that? And then also kind of the reaction of you didn't deserve to be fine. You were just expressing your, your opinion. Yeah, I have really nothing to add. (laughs) So how'd you like that? Matthew Paris uh, with a very shrewd line of questioning, trying to appeal to Jack Del Rio's politics by bringing up the support of Jim Jordan, a Republican member of the House of Representatives, uh, represents Ohio. Paris mentioned how there are people. Uh, Actually, a lot of people, maybe even a majority of people who believe that Jack did not deserve to be fined, uh, but Jack did not take the bait from Paris. Uh, Jack was having no part of the Matthew Paris reindeer games. (laughs) Quote, yeah, I have really nothing to add. And quote, saying nothing. Uh, Jack Del Rio on Wednesday morning handled the inevitable questions about the dust up situation Exactly as he should have handled them, he said nothing. Uh, The entire situation should have never happened, and especially now, it's time for football, okay? There's zero benefit for Jack or for the commanders for him to truly engage these questions. You knew that the questions would be asked, but Jack did a great job of shutting them down, and, you know, he wasn't a jerk in how he shut them down. He shut them down, I thought, in a nice, respectful way. Now, Ron Rivera, during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday morning, did get asked about Jack Del Rio. As I mentioned earlier, Ron, on June 10th, issued a statement in which he announced the $100,000 fine of Jack. And something that I've wondered about is whether there might be heat between Ron and Jack, not just over the fine, but over the explanations of the fine. And yes, I said explanations, as in the plural of explanation. Something that never got enough attention was that Ron changed his explanation for why he fined Jack the hundred grand. Ron Rivera, in this statement on June 10th announcing the fine, said the following, quote, what happened on the Capitol on January 6th, 2021, was an act of domestic terrorism. A group of citizens attempted to overturn the results of a free and fair election, and as a result, lives were lost and the Capitol building was damaged. Coach Del Rio did apologize for his comments on Wednesday, and he understands the distinction between the events of that dark day and peaceful protests, which are a hallmark of our democracy, 
end quote. Okay, so to me, the inference toward the end of that portion of the statement from Rod Rivera was that Jack Del Rio considered the peaceful protests in the spring and summer of 2020 to be as bad as, if not worse than, what happened on January 6th, 2021. Yeah, so Jack never said that. What I have taken from Jack's tweets and comments is that the rioting and the looting in the spring and summer of 2020 were as bad as, if not worse than, what happened on January 6th, 2021. I have never read or heard anything from Jack about the peaceful protests in the spring and summer of 2020. Uh, There was nothing wrong with the peaceful protests in the spring and summer of 2020. And the peaceful protests in the spring and summer of 2020 were, in fact, the overwhelming majority of the protests in the spring and summer of 2020. But the rioting and looting did happen, okay? And I never took Jack's comments to mean anything other than the rioting and the looting in relation to what happened on January 6th. 2021. Well, sure enough, what happened this past June 14th? Ron Rivera at a pre-mandatory minicamp practice press conference said of finding Jack Del Rio $100,000, quote, this is not the fact that he exercised his right to free speech. This is about what impacted the football team. The thing we all have to understand with these rights, these freedoms come tremendous responsibility, and we have to understand that as well. And so this is about the impact that was made on our football team, the distraction it has become. And it's a very serious question and topic, but at the end of the day, it did impact us. And that's why I did what I did. And quote, okay, so that explanation there from Ron Rivera for why he fined Jack Del Rio $100,000 was not the same explanation that was given in the statement from Ron on June 10th. The explanation from June 14th was that Jack's comments had caused a distraction for the team. Okay, (laughs) well, which explanation was it? What was the actual true reason for Ron Rivera having fined Jack Del Rio $100,000? Personally, I liked the second explanation a lot better than the first explanation, but Ron changed his story, plain and simple, okay? Forget about what you think about what Jack Del Rio said. Forget about where you stand on all of this stuff, okay? Ron changed his story. That's undeniable. Ron changed his reasoning for the fine. And I've wondered if that, in conjunction with the actual fine, again, $100,000, had led to tension between Ron and Jack. And so with all of that as a backdrop, here was Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning on how things have gone with Jack Del Rio since Ron fined Jack the hundred grand. It's been cool. It really has. I mean, he's been great about it. You know, he, he accepted it. And, you know, and he understood that it had nothing to do with his points of view and other just his interpretation more so than anything else. And that's why it was done. All right. I'm not sure what Ron Rivera meant by saying that the $100,000 fine of Jack Del Rio had nothing to do with his points of view, but more so his interpretation. Like, I'm not exactly clear on what Ron meant in saying that. But I'll say this, and I am encouraged by this. There has not been any indication that there is tension between Ron and Jack. Uh, They do appear to be fine. And, you know, I'll emphasize that word appear because we don't know what's happening behind the scenes. And I'm sure that Jack isn't like thrilled with how Ron handled all of this. But I'm sure that Ron wasn't thrilled with Jack. You know, Jack feeling this screaming need to voice his political opinions on Twitter. I mean, nobody asked you, okay? Like you never needed to sound off like you sounded off. You could think whatever you want to think 
But as a public figure, as a coach on an NFL team, you putting your opinions out there has consequences. And, you know, you're not the only guy on the commander, surely, who has thoughts on things. And sometimes it's best to just keep the thoughts to yourself or, you know, engage in private conversations to express those thoughts as opposed to just putting those thoughts out there and then having those thoughts become the dominant topic at a post-OTA practice press conference. So hopefully Ron and Jack are cool. Uh, Hopefully they're on the same page. Uh, Ron has said nothing but good things about Jack uh, since that 100000 dollar fine. And now we get to what matters the most with Jack Del Rio. His commander's defense. Is it going to be good this coming season? Will Washington's defense in the 2022 season be a lot better than Washington's defense in the 2021 season? And we, of course, did just have a major change with the commander's defense. Head coach Ron Rivera on August 9th began his post-training camp practice press conference by announcing that he had fired commander's defensive line coach Sam Mills III and had promoted assistant defensive line coach Jeff Scanina to defensive line coach. Uh, Defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio at his post-training camp practice press conference on Wednesday morning on Jeff Scanina, now being the commander's defensive line coach, and on Sam Mills III, uh, now being gone as defensive line coach. And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with commander's insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com. I'd have to defer to coach on any reasoning. Uh, I think he spelled that out with you guys. I have nothing to add. Uh, Jeff's doing a good job, and um, the guys are responding well to him. So, uh, Coach has a good sense on what he wants to do, and our job as staff members is to make it come to life and make it make it productive, and uh, and that's what we're going to do. Were you consulted on the decision? Um, yeah, I would. Like I said, I, any anything that you want to talk about in terms of that, I just defer to Coach. All right, so Jack Del Rio, uh, as was the case with the dust-up situation, uh, not wanting to say much about Sam Mills III being out as commander's defensive line coach. Here was Jack on Wednesday morning on what he likes about Jeff Scanina as a defensive line coach. Uh, I mean, he's a guy that played 17 years in the league. I like that. I think he brings some intensity. I like that. I think the guys respond well to him and uh, and his teaching. So, uh yeah, it's been, we've been off to a good start. I think the, the guys overall defensively have a great work ethic. I think the, the camaraderie is there. Um, they're, 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 really, they're really coming out and putting in the work every day. That gives you a chance to really grow, and we are seeing growth. Yeah, Jeff Scanina was an NFL defensive lineman for 17 seasons, 1993 through 2009. He was a member of the 1999 St. Louis Rams team that won Super Bowl 34 in January 2000. Now, with this commander's defensive line, uh, we know that Chase Young will be out for at least week one of the 2022 season. Uh, Ron Rivera has made that clear. Chase remains on the active, physically unable to perform list as he recovers from a torn right ACL that he suffered in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field this past November 14th. So who are the edge defenders who are emerging with Chase Young out? Jack Del Rio on Wednesday morning on Commander's Edge Defenders in the absence of Chase Young. Yeah, I think James Smith-Williams, first name that comes to my mind, uh, he's running with the ones. I think he's uh, a guy that's rugged. He's played a little bit inside and moved outside full-time, doing a great job with it. So... 
really happy with him. I think Casey Twohill's developed. I think uh, F.A. Uh, developing those guys are, are, are giving us some, uh, some presence on the edge. And, and, of course, Montez Sweat himself uh, leading the way with that group. But uh, uh, working hard. Uh, obviously, we'd love to have Chase back as soon as he's you know, ready to join us, back healthy. Uh, but in the meantime, those guys are getting valuable work. Yeah, notable that Jack Del Rio immediately pointed to James Smith-Williams. Uh, the Redskins took James Smith-Williams with the second of their two seventh-round picks in the 2020 NFL Draft out of NC State. He played a decent amount last season. He, in the 2021 regular season, played on 35% of Washington's defensive snaps. Uh, Rod Rivera, at his post-training camp practice press conference on Wednesday morning, got asked to sort through other backup edge defenders. Uh, guys like William Bradley King and Bumi Rotimi and Shaka Tony. Here was Ron's answer. Well, that's exactly what we're trying to do is sort through and, and see which one of those guys have stepped up. You know, uh, Bradley King's done a really nice job. He's a heavy-handed guy that's physical. Um, Rotimi, Rotunmi, Bumi is also a, a heavy-handed guy who's physical as well. Um, you look at Shaka. Shaka's an, uh, a um, situational pass rusher type very explosive off the ball. We saw that in the, in the game, you know, getting around the corner and dipping, stuff like that. So we've got a mix of young guys. We also have a veteran guy in, uh, in F.A. Obata who has the ability to not just play an end, but he can also play a three technique and passing situations for us as well. <laughs> All righty. Well, you heard right there, uh, Ron Rivera. Oh, Don Ron, uh, still having some trouble with the name Bumi Rotimi. And part of what Ron continues to do <laughs> is say Bumi's last name before his first name. Bumi Rotimi is his name. First name Bumi, last name Rotimi. Uh, but Ron last year struggled with that. Here you go. Uh, this was Ron last year. Rotimi Bumi. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, and then Ron on Wednesday morning, uh, still struggling with that gosh darn name, Bumi Rotimi. Uh, Brad the King's done a really nice job. He's a heavy-handed guy that's physical. Um, Rotimi, Rotunmi, Bumi is also a, a heavy-handed guy who's physical as well. No, Ron. The guy's name is Bumi Rotimi. The brother's name is Bumi Rotimi. Say it ten times fast. Bumi Rotimi. Uh, I get a kick out of Ron having trouble with this name. I mean, we all have problems with certain words, okay? I'm sure I have problems with certain words. Uh, clearly, Bumi Rotimi is a trouble spot, is an Achilles heel uh, for Ron Rivera. And you can tell when he has to say the name, he lacks confidence. He struggles. He's sort of tentative. You know, he's reluctant to even say the name because he knows that he doesn't quite have it down pat. Uh, Bumi Rotimi is the name. Washington initially signed Bumi Rotimi as an unrestricted free agent in July 2021. He's actually a local. Uh, he attended West Potomac High School in Alexandria, Virginia, and went to Old Dominion University. Uh, much more on the commander's defense with comments from Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio in moments. But while saying the name Bumi Rotimi may be a challenge, uh, buying a home in the Washington, D.C. area should not be a challenge. Not if you go with Kellen Hunt, as your real estate agent, visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. The truth about buying a home in the Washington, D.C. area is that now is the time. Yes, now. 
The rise in mortgage rates has led to a rise in inventory, leading to a reduction in prices. Uh, I read to you from DC Urban Turf, quote, inventory has bottomed out in the region with big increases in the availability of both single family detached homes and townhomes in many local markets, end quote. Now is the time to buy, especially with rents going up. And when it comes to getting a deal done to buy the Washington, D.C. area home that you want, ain't nobody better than Kellen Hunt. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt understands the Washington, D.C. area real estate market, and he is here for you to listen to what you want, no matter your situation in life. Whether you are a first-time buyer looking for guidance, or you have a young family looking for a bigger home, or you're ready to retire and or are looking to downsize, Kellen Hunt can help you. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people. He's a great guy, and he will listen to you. He's not just some know-it-all. He works for you. He takes in what you're looking for and then gets to work. Smart, attention to detail, creative. Put Kellen Hunt to work for you, and Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you, the buyer, get a piece of the action. Who doesn't want that? given inflation. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs, and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. You have nothing to lose. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. Book an introductory call with Kellen Hunt at CloseItWithKell.com. If you're trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well. By going with Kel. Visit CloseItWithKel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Uh, more now on the Commander's defense at 2022 Commander's Training Camp. So the biggest negative for the Commander's defense in the team's 23-21 preseason opening loss to the Carolina Panthers at FedEx Field this past Saturday afternoon was the third down defense. Uh, the Commanders allowed the Panthers to go 11 of 18 on third downs. And that wasn't just, say, a second half thing. Uh, no, commander's starters struggled on third downs. Uh, the Panthers' first offensive drive uh, was quarterback Baker Mayfield's lone drive of the game. It was a 13-play, 54-yard drive that consumed five minutes, 51 seconds off the clock, resulted in kicker Zane Gonzalez's first quarter 41-yard field goal. Third snap of the drive, Baker Mayfield, a third and three, 19-yard shotgun completion to receiver Shai Smith, who was wide open. Sixth snap of the drive, running back Chuba Hubbard, a third and three, five-yard shotgun handoff run up the middle. Ninth snap of the drive, Baker Mayfield, a third and five, 15-yard shotgun completion to receiver Shai Smith across the middle. Uh, As you probably know, uh, Washington's third down defense was a problem last season. Washington finished the 2021 regular season at number 31 out of 32 NFL teams in lowest opponents' third down efficiency at 48.5%. Rod Rivera on Wednesday morning on the Commander's third down defense. Well, we'll continue to work with it, but one of the biggest things, too, as I said, and, and, and it was a little bit of a stark thing, was you know when we went back and studied last season, one of the things we saw was our deficiencies in second down defense. You know We can't allow ourselves to, to be in second and 10 then end up in third and four, third and three, third and five. Um, you know, and that's, that's where it begins. It starts with that. You know, keep the momentum. Get them and keep them in second and long. That'll help us. That'll, that'll increase our opportunities to keep them from converting. Um, 
And then again, it's continue to challenge our guys. You know, they're going to have to step up. Guys need to step up. You know, we've changed some things as far as what we've done um, or what we do, excuse me, um, to fit a little bit more of that as far as being successful on third down. Yeah, and that was a good point from Ron Rivera about first and second down defense impacting third down defense. But an important thing to keep in mind is that Washington last season struggled on third and longs. Like Washington's bad third down defense last season wasn't just a function of giving up a bunch of third and shorts. Uh, Here was Jack Del Rio on Wednesday morning on his reaction to the commander's third down defense struggling against the Panthers this past Saturday afternoon. My reaction is not to overreact, but... I didn't like it, you know, um, so sometimes things go like that, but, uh, my, you know, for us, it's about getting, getting to work, understanding why, and there were three different cases of what transpired and why, and correct it and move on, so, like I said, um, a lot of good energy going into what needs to be done, we've certainly identified it, you know, we want to be a defense that starts fast. Uh, letting them get three first downs on on third down once we've got them to third down is not is not starting fast. So um, that's something we've identified as a, as a must do, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep tabs on that as we go. Uh, yeah, you probably should keep tabs uh, on that third down defense. It's hard to be a good defense while being really bad on third downs. I do expect the team's third down defense to be better this coming season. If for no other reason, then the schedule appears to be a lot softer than last season's schedule, particularly from a standpoint of opposing quarterbacks. Uh, A key to the commander's third down defense being good this coming season would figure to be the team's new number one nickel corner, Benjamin St. Juice. Uh, Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning on how Benjamin St. Juice is adjusting to being the team's primary nickel corner. I think Benjamin's adjusted very well. Um, you know, he, he's, a, he's a very tall, linear guy, long arms, but he's very quick. He's quick in short spaces. That'll help us as far as, or at least we believe so, um, him playing the nickel position. He's adapted to it very nicely, very smart, bright football player who understands the concepts. Yeah, this is going to be a really interesting case study with this commander's defense this coming season. How Benjamin St. Juice does as the primary nickel corner, assuming that he does end up being the team's primary nickel corner. Uh, Benjamin St. Juice, in his football career, both college and the NFL, has barely played nickel corner. Uh, He is big for a nickel corner. The commanders list him as being 6'3 and 200 pounds. But more and more, we are seeing slot receivers who are bigger receivers. Uh, The days of every NFL slot receiver being the size of, say, Uh, Jamison Crowder are ending. So this actually may be very much a forward-thinking thing that the commanders are doing in having Benjamin St. Juice become the primary nickel corner. Uh, Of course, another key for the commanders' defense being good on third downs this coming season is the C-word, communication. Communication for the commanders. Uh, Washington's pass defense over the first eight games of the 2021 regular season was terrible. Uh, A big reason for that was bad communication. We all saw that. Uh, Washington, through week eight of the 2021 regular season, was dead last in the NFL in opponents' third down efficiency at 56.5%. That is atrocious third down defense. Washington, during its two and six start, allowed opponents to go a combined 65 for 115 on third downs. Uh, The good news is that the commander's defense, by all indications, 
has had a good training camp. Now, what does that mean for the upcoming season? Who knows? But training camp has gone well for the commander's defense. Uh, Jack Del Rio on Wednesday morning on why things appear to be better for the commander's defense. Well, I think the biggest thing is we had a really productive offseason. You know, it was, it was really important uh, to, to make sure that our guys were here, they were working, they were together. Uh, the communication is, uh, is, is really strong right now. It's such a huge part of what we do, you know, being on the same page and being able to play fast uh, to your responsibilities. And, and, I, and I, think, I think they come in with a little more confidence because they were here in the offseason kind of growing together. Um, and putting in the work. And so, you know, there's no shortcut to success. You know, there really isn't. And I, I think they've done a great job of, of working at it. And, and our communication and uh, our knowledge and our understanding of the principles that we play with is much stronger right now. Yeah, interesting to hear Jack Del Rio say that the commander's defense had a good offseason. Uh, remember, he in May, in an in-house conversation with Julie Donaldson, the team's senior vice president of media and content, said, quote, with our whole secondary here and working, unlike last year, which was a problem, some of it showed during the course of the year, end quote. Uh, Jack clearly was not happy with a certain someone or certain someones for not attending at least some of the team's offseason program during the 2021 offseason. It does sound like attendance for the offseason program for the 2022 offseason was much better. Uh, Jack Del Rio on Wednesday morning on why the commander's communication on defense seems to be better. Well, I think, you know, Cam, Bobby uh, in the back end, you know, have, have kind of led the way. Uh, Kendall Fuller, uh, Will, I think they all, you know, really understand what we're asking of them. Uh, Defoe's had a strong camp. You know, he's, done a, he's done a nice job. He's really developing for us. Uh, Benjamin, has done a nice job developing for us. Uh, Jamin has developing. So you're talking about several members of, of the back seven that, that's playing and uh, being able to play together and play fast and um, let their natural talents, you know, let it, let it, as I like to say, come to life. Let it bring, bring the defense to life. Well, speaking of coming to life, uh, will linebacker Jamin Davis come to life uh, this coming season? You know, Jack Del Rio in that aforementioned conversation with Julie Donaldson this past May flat out said of Jamin Davis, quote, Jamin had a rough rookie year, wasn't a great rookie year, end quote. Uh, no, uh, Jamin did not have a great rookie year. Uh, Jamin in his 2021 rookie regular season played in 16 of Washington's 17 games, but he registered an overall grade for pro football focus of just 46.8. Uh, PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Uh, Jamin looked tentative. Jamin looked like he was thinking far more than he was actually playing. And Jamin just made very few impact plays. Uh, Jack Del Rio on Wednesday morning on the progress that he's seeing from Jamin Davis. I think, I think he is playing with more um, certainty. You know, more confidence, understands, you know, where he belongs. And, you know, of course, he's very gifted. I mean, you know, so, you know, talent-wise, uh, when a guy with his abilities is locked in and mentally really understands where he belongs, he's able to come to life. And, uh, and we're seeing that. He's, he's, he's having a strong camp for us, and we're going to need him to play well for us this year. All right. You know, something that Ron Rivera has said about Jack Del Rio recently is that Jack has been preaching humility 
with the defense. Uh, Washington's defense last season was a major disappointment. Washington finished the 2021 regular season number 27 out of 32 NFL teams in total defense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Jack on Wednesday morning on this message of humility for the commander's defense. Yeah, I just, to me, it's, uh, it's always something that I stress. Um, you know, we're not going to be fearful of anybody that we go against, but at the same time, want to make sure we're really respectful and, uh, and just prepare and understand the need to strain every day. Uh, and and that's, that's what it comes down to. You know, this league's full of talented players, players and coaches that are working to, to, to attack you. And uh, we want to work to attack them. And, we, and, and to me, you know, being in the right frame of mind, approaching it the right way, um, uh, we want to be you know, confident, uh, we want to be prepared, and then we want to go compete. But I think the, the humility part is like a day one message of it doesn't really matter uh, how you got here. It's about production in our business, and, um, and that's what we're stressing. Yeah, I mean, you really can't emphasize this enough. Big upcoming season for this commander's defense, and thus a big upcoming season for Jack Del Rio. Up next, I'm talking Nationals, a stunningly good outing from Corey Abbott for the Nats on Wednesday afternoon, although the outing did come at a loss. Uh, Also, the Atlanta Braves. Uh, We despise the Braves, but you got to respect the Braves, and they just again did something that the Nats have never done, and you wonder why. I will wonder why, and get to a lot more with the Nats after this. Well, if you're like me, you like coffee, and coffee is a part of your routine. I drink coffee before every workout, and I'm a big fan of Trade Coffee, which right now is offering something very special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. More on that offer in moments. But Trade Coffee tastes great, and Trade Coffee comes from a great place. Trade Coffee sends you freshly roasted beans from 60 of the country's best craft roasters, small businesses that pay farmers fair prices to sustainably source the greatest beans from around the world. So buying Trade Coffee gets you delicious coffee and supports small businesses and farmers. And here's maybe the best part. Trade Coffee tailors its coffee to you. Uh, You complete a very brief coffee quiz, and you get your own personalized variety of coffees delivered fresh to you as often as you like. No gimmicks. Uh, Trade Coffee delivers a bag of freshly roasted coffee as whole beans or ground for however you brew your coffee at home. And Trade Coffee guarantees that you'll love your first order, or Trade Coffee will replace your order for free. Trade Coffee is a great model. There's no one perfect coffee but there is a perfect coffee for you. And so here's a special offer for listeners of this podcast. Trade Coffee is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off first orders plus free shipping. Just go to drinktrade.com slash algaldi. Drinktrade.com slash algaldi. Take the quiz and let Trade Coffee find you the coffee that you'll love. Again, off. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Visit drinktrade.com slash algaldi for $30 off. That's drinktrade.com slash algaldi for $30 off. One more time, visit drinktrade.com slash algaldi for $30 off. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, for reasons that are hard to figure out, the Nationals right now are in the midst of four consecutive series in which the Nats are playing just two different teams, uh, the Chicago Cubs and the San Diego Padres. Uh, August 8th through the 10th, the Nats lost two or three games at the Cubs. August 12th through the 14th, the Nats lost two or three games to the Padres at Nationals Park. August 15th through the 17th, the Nats lost two or three games to the Cubs at Nationals Park. And now next up is a four-game series at the Padres. Uh, The Nats are going Cubs-Padres, Cubs-Padres. This is very rare for a team in MLB to face just two non-division teams over a course of four consecutive series. But such is the Nats' 2022 schedule, and such is the Nats' 2022 season. Uh, Another loss on Wednesday afternoon, a 3-2 loss to the Cubs at Nationals Park, dropping the Nats to a major league worst 39-80. and uh, So yeah, the Nats now need to go undefeated for the rest of their 2022 regular season in order to avoid having a non-winning record. Uh, one more loss will clinch the Nats not having a winning record. Uh, the Nats on Wednesday afternoon, just two runs, uh, just six hits. Uh, now, four of the hits were doubles, so the other two hits were singles, uh, but the Nats worked no walks The Nats went two for eight with runners in scoring position. Uh, C.J. Abrams, he was the Nats starting shortstop and number seven batter for a third time in three games in the series. He went 0 for two with two strikeouts. Uh, Abrams in the bottom of the second did draw two out hit by pitch, uh, did have a stolen base. Uh, The Nats scored a run in the bottom of the second and then scored a run in the bottom of the sixth. Uh, K-Bet Ruiz and that Nats one run second, a one out opposite field double. Uh, down the right field line, uh, he is an ad starting catcher and number five batter went one for four with the double. Uh, Cesar Hernandez in that Nats one run second, a one out RBI single through the left side of the infield on an 0-2 pitch for a one nothing Nats lead. You know, Cesar Hernandez actually has been hitting pretty well lately, ended up having himself a pretty good series here uh, in this series 
against the Cubs at Nationals Park. Cesar Hernandez was the Nats' starting second baseman in all three games in the series. Uh, he, in the 5-4 win over the Cubs on Monday night, went 1-4 for four with a single. He, in the 7-5, 11-inning loss to the Cubs on Tuesday night, went 3-5 for five with two doubles and a single. And he, in this game on Wednesday afternoon, had this RBI single. But also for Cesar Hernandez on Wednesday afternoon was him getting picked off and caught stealing second base for the second out in that Nats one-run second inning as, yes, we had yet another instance of a base-running blunder by the Nats. Uh, You know, we on Tuesday night had what happened with center fielder Victor Robles, him in the bottom of the first on a Joey Manessis line-out to Cubs right fielder Seiya Suzuki, not getting back to first base before getting doubled up as Robles was too slow to get back to first base and then did not slide back into first base. And then we on Wednesday afternoon had what happened with Cesar Hernandez. I mean, he does a nice job with the one-out RBI single through the left side of the infield on an 0-2 pitch. Nats go up 1-0, but then, like, you know, minutes later, Cesar Hernandez gets picked off and caught stealing second base for the second out. Uh, The Nats entered Wednesday dead last out of 30 major league teams in Fangraph's all-encompassing base running metric, base running runs, for the 2022 regular season at minus 23.6. And it's not just that the Nats are last in that category. It's that the Nats are last in that category by miles. Uh, The next worst team was the Minnesota Twins at minus 11.9. So next to last, the Twins at minus 11.9 base running runs. Dead last, the Nats at minus 23.6 base running runs. Uh, Base running has been a huge problem for the Nats this season. And if you have been watching the games, uh, you know that. Uh, Cesar Hernandez for the game on Wednesday afternoon uh, as an at starting second baseman and number six batter, one for four with that RBI single. Uh, the Nats' other run on Wednesday afternoon came on a one-out RBI force out off the bat of Nelson Cruz. Uh, Cruz in an Nats one-run six grounded into a one-out RBI force out to tie the game at two. Cruz initially was ruled to have hit into a 6-4-3 double play, but Nats manager David Martinez challenged the play, and Cruz was ruled to have beaten the throw to first base. Uh, Nelson Cruz, age 41 season, beating out the throw, although uh, that was a rather long and rather slowly developing play. Uh, But still, uh, Cruz made his way to first base, got there, the Nats got the run. Uh, Cruz on Wednesday afternoon as an Nats starting DH and number four batter, 0 for 3 with an RBI force out and two strikeouts. And how about what happened with Nelson Cruz in the bottom of the fourth, a leadoff strikeout that concluded an amazing 15-pitch plate appearance in which he fouled off an absurd 10 pitches. 15 pitches in that plate appearance for Nelson Cruz. He fouled off 10 of the pitches Uh, but he did end up striking out. Uh, I mentioned the Nats having four doubles. Uh, Lane Thomas had two of the four doubles. He, on Wednesday afternoon, was the Nats' starting center fielder and number one batter, two for four with two doubles. He, in the bottom of the third, had a one-out double to left field on a one-two pitch. He, in the bottom of the eighth, had a one-out opposite field double uh, to the right center field gap. Uh, Lane Thomas had four extra base hits in the series, a solo homer and three doubles. Uh, also, Joey Manessis on Wednesday afternoon had a double. Uh, he was an ad starting right fielder and number two batter, one for four with a double. Uh, Manessis in the Nats one run sixth, a one out double to left field to give him an 11 game hitting streak. But the biggest bright spot for the Nats in this 3-2 loss to the Cubs at Nationals Park on Wednesday afternoon was, believe it or not, Corey Abbott. Uh, who looked more like Jim Abbott. (laughs) Uh, Corey Abbott on Wednesday afternoon pitched like uh, Jim Abbott circa 1991 and 1992. 
with the California Angels. Uh, Corey Abbott, two runs in six innings. Really good stuff. Uh, he had five strikeouts versus one walk. He gave up just three hits, a homer, a double, and a single. Uh, he also issued a wild pitch, but he threw a lot of strikes. Uh, see, over 83 pitches through 57 strikes versus 26 balls. Uh, the only damage off Abbott came in the top of the fifth, during which he allowed two runs. Uh, Abbott issued a leadoff five-pitch walk of Rafael Ortega, and Abbott gave up a two-out full count, two-run homer to P.J. Higgins to left center field for a 2-1 Cubs lead. Uh, now, look, the Cubs are not a great hitting team, but, you know, you're talking about Corey Abbott here. I mean, I don't think you should poo-poo what he did. Two runs in six innings. That's a nice outing. And, you know, this is a guy who the Nats got off waivers not that long ago. Uh, the Nats on May 4th uh, claimed Abbott off waivers from the San Francisco Giants. Uh, yeah, May 4th, Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. The force was with Corey Abbott uh, on Wednesday afternoon. But yeah, the Nats got Abbott off waivers on May 4th. Uh, the Nats on July 30th recalled Abbott from AAA Rochester. Uh, he now has appeared in seven games with four starts for the Nats at the major league level. His ERA is 516, but two of the four starts have been good starts. Uh, what he did on Wednesday afternoon and what he did in his first start for the Nats. Uh, August 2nd, a 5-1 win over the National League East leading New York Mets at Nationals Park. Abbott in that game tossed five scoreless innings. Yeah, you may remember that game, August 2nd, what was MLB trade deadline day, hours after the Nats traded right fielder Juan Soto and first baseman Josh Bell to the San Diego Padres. Corey Abbott went out there and uh, gave you five shutout innings and a 5-1 win over the Mets. Uh, here was Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Wednesday afternoon on Corey Abbott, and you'll hear multiple exchanges between Davey and reporters. As we talked about, you know, pounding the strike zone, throws pitchings, getting uh, early early swings, uh, uh, early contact, which was great. You know, um, just that one, you know, one in where he walked the first, lead, walked the leadoff hitter. We always talk about, you know, you walk a leadoff hitter, it's, you know, it, it's going to get you, you know. So, um, but I, he did really well, and that's awesome to see. Gave us good six strong innings. How would you assess like his first four starts this year? Would you see? Oh, he's. I mean, he, like I said, you know, the days that the days that he throws strikes and he's around the strike zone, he's give, he's given us some good outings, you know. And so we we just gotta continue to talk to him about, you know, utilizing all his pitches in the zone, you know, in the zone. He's got good stuff. He's got a, you know, good slider, good curveball. Um, his fastball moves, runs a little bit, you know. So, um, but we gotta get him, you know, we gotta get him in the strike zone. No, he took he today he was uh, actually a lot slower working than he has been. Um, which you know I didn't talk to him during the game, but I don't know if he did it by design, kind of slows heartbeat down a little bit. But he worked a little bit slower today, which and, uh, you know and for him it worked today, right? I mean we talked about him might being a little amped up. You know, before the game, because he's facing his old teammates. But um, you know, he, he did well. He calmed himself down a little bit and, and did well. Yeah, two things that Davey Martinez has emphasized a lot with starting pitchers this season, especially young starting pitchers, slow down and throw more changeups. Uh, Davey has been big on wanting his pitchers to throw more changeups. But uh, Corey Abbott on Wednesday afternoon certainly did slow things down, and the results were quite good. Uh, the results also were quite good for the Nats bullpen on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, three Nats relievers combined to allow one run in three innings with six strikeouts. Uh, now, the run that was allowed did end up being the game-winning run, but the Nats did not lose this game because of their pitching. Uh, the Nats lost this game because of their hitting. Uh, Jake McGee and a Cubs one-run seventh 
face three batters. He gave up a leadoff ground rule double to Franmil Reyes to left field, uh, despite a valiant diving attempt by the Nats left fielder Alex Call. Alex Call sold out and tried to make a diving backhanded catch on the warning track. I mean, really good effort by Call, uh, but he was unable to make the catch, uh, and Reyes found himself on second base with the ground rule double. Uh, McGee, though, then recorded back-to-back swinging strikeouts. Then Steve Ciszek came into the game. He faced just two batters, got the final out, but not before giving up a two-out full count opposite field RBI single to left field to the first batter Ciszek faced. The ex-nad Jan Gomes uh, for a 3-2 Cubs lead. But then Erasmo Ramirez came into the game. He ended up tossing two scoreless and hitless innings with four strikeouts. Uh, He tossed a scoreless top of the eighth with three strikeouts, including back-to-back strikeouts of the Cubs' numbers three and four batters, Seiya Suzuki and Ian Happ. And Ramirez tossed a perfect top of the ninth with a strikeout. Uh, Erasmo Ramirez, you know, no full-time Nats reliever has thrown more innings in the 2022 regular season than Erasmo Ramirez has. 61 and two-thirds innings. It's not like he's been lights out, but you know, he has been uh, decent, if not good. ERA of 336, whip of 120. Those are not great numbers for a reliever, I'll grant you that. But at times, he has been quite good, and he certainly was really good on Wednesday afternoon. Again, two scoreless and hitless innings with four strikeouts. Uh, There's something else with the Nats that I wanted to discuss with you, and that is what the Atlanta Braves announced on Tuesday. Uh, Did you see this? The Braves on Tuesday announced that they have signed outfielder Michael Harris II to an eight-year contract worth $72 million. Uh, The deal runs through the 2030 season. The deal includes a $15 million club option for 2031 with a $5 million buyout and a $20 million club option for 2032 with a $5 million buyout. Uh, The deal would be worth $102 million over 10 years if both options are exercised. So here we have the Braves once again signing a promising young player to a long-term contract extension. How and why is it that the Braves keep doing this and the Nats have never done this? This season is Michael Harris II's rookie season and age 21 season. Now, he made his Major League regular season debut uh, just a few months ago, May 28th. He, in fact, is the youngest player in the majors. Uh, He, at the time of the announcement of this extension, led all qualified rookies in the majors with an 825 OPS for the 2022 regular season. There certainly is an element of risk here because if Michael Harris II ends up not working out, well, you've just given him an eight-year contract worth $72 million. But the Braves signing Michael Harris II marks yet another instance of the Braves signing a promising young player to an aggressive long-term contract extension. We have seen this a good bit in recent years. Uh, The Braves this past August 1st Signed third baseman Austin Riley to a 10-year contract worth $212 million. Uh, The deal runs through the 2032 season, has a $20 million club option for 2033. Uh, This season is Riley's age 25 season. Uh, April 2019, the Braves signed two promising young players to absolute steals of deals from a club perspective. The Braves 
in April 2019, signed second baseman Ozzie Albies to a seven-year, $35 million contract extension. Uh, the 2019 season was Albies' age 22 season. And the Braves in April 2019 signed outfielder Ronald Acuna Jr. to an eight-year, $100 million contract extension. The 2019 season was Acuna's age 21 season. Now, those Albies and Acuna contracts are criminal, okay? I mean, people were outraged when those contracts got signed, but those contracts happened. And again, from a Nats perspective, how and why is it that the Braves keep doing this and the Nats have never done this? Like, as we are sucked into right now, all of this Nats conversation about the players who are no longer here and why those players are no longer here and specific to Juan Soto, what happened and why and did the Nats have to trade him and could the Nats have ever signed him to a long-term contract extension, etc. Here you have the Braves having locked up Ronald Acuna Jr., Ozzy Albies, Austin Riley, and now Michael Harris II for years to come. Now, uh, it is true that neither Michael Harris II, nor Austin Riley, nor Ozzy Albies, nor Ronald Acuna Jr. has Scott Boris as the agent. And maybe the answer is as simple as that. Scott Boris. You know, Boris is Juan Soto's agent. Boris is right fielder Bryce Harper's agent. Uh, Boris is third baseman Anthony Rendon's agent. Boris is starting pitcher Steven Strasburg's agent. Maybe the Nats never signing any of those guys to aggressive long-term contracts early in those players' careers in order to buy out the players' arbitration years and also some of the players' free agency years is as simple as two simple words, Scott Boris. But geez, every five minutes, it feels like the Braves are locking up a stud young player for years to come. And the juxtaposition of that versus what we have with the Nats is hard to ignore. Um, It's amazing, man. I mean, the Braves are loaded. The Braves have made the playoffs in each of the last four seasons, of course, winning the World Series for last season. Uh, No Braves fan of mine, okay? I can't stand the Braves, in fact, but I do respect the Braves. I don't know how you couldn't respect the Braves. And their president of baseball operations and general manager, Alex Anthopoulos, has a really good thing going. Next up for the Nets, a six-game trip out west, a four-game series at the San Diego Padres, followed by a two-game series at the Seattle Mariners. Game one at the Padres, Thursday night at 9.40. Anibal Sanchez will be the Nats' starting pitcher. Well, it's funny how the sequencing of results in a three-game series in Major League Baseball can impact how you feel about the series. If you lose the first game of a series but win the final two games of the series, you feel good. If you win the first game of a series, lose the second game of the series, but win the third game of the series, you feel good. But if you win the first two games of a series, but lose the third game of the series, you don't feel as good. What happens in that third game of a three-game series can dictate how you feel about the series, even though in each of the three scenarios that I just laid out, you win two of the three games. And that brings us to the Orioles, who won the first two games of a big three-game series at the Toronto Blue Jays, but then ended up getting ripped in game three of the series. Uh, a 6-1 loss at the Blue Jays on Wednesday. Uh, the O's now are 61-56 and 1.5 and games 
behind the Blue Jays for the American League's third wild card spot. It actually says a lot about the state of the O's that they won two or three games at the Blue Jays, but there's disappointment because the O's didn't end up getting the three-game sweep. Like, the last few years, every O's fan on the planet would have killed for winning two or three games at the Blue Jays, but this game on Wednesday was a winnable game. Uh, This was a scoreless game entering the bottom of the seventh, and then everything fell apart for the O's as the Blue Jays scored six runs in the bottom of the seventh. Uh, The Orioles' great bullpen was not so great in that six-run Blue Jays' seventh. Joey Crable, CNL Perez, and Lewis Head combined to allow six runs in that bottom of the seventh. Look, the Orioles' bullpen this season has been outstanding. Uh, was excellent over the first two games of the series. You're not going to have excellence in every game. So yeah, I mean, the Orioles' bullpen on Wednesday had a clunker of a performance. Uh, so too, by the way, did the Orioles' offense. Uh, the O's totaled just one run. The O's totaled just four hits, all of which were singles. The O's worked zero walks. Uh, the O's got dominated by the Blue Jays' starting pitcher, Ross Stripling, who tossed six into third scoreless innings with seven strikeouts. You know, the Orioles' offense can be really good, but the Orioles' offense also can get totally shut down. We have seen that this season, and we certainly saw that on Wednesday. But what we also saw on Wednesday was another impressive outing for Austin Voth as an Oriole. Boy, what is happening with Austin Voth really is something. Voth in this 6-1 loss at the Blue Jays on Wednesday, six scoreless innings. He had three strikeouts versus one walk. He gave up just two hits, a double and a single. He threw a good number of strikes, uh, 86 pitches, 55 strikes versus 31 balls. O's manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday evening on Austin Voth. Well, Voth was really good. Um... A really good pitching matchup. Both guys threw the ball extremely well at the start of the game, and uh, you know I thought both once again, you know, really good curveball, uh, the cutter slider. Uh, it's got really nice life to his fastball. Uh, Counted the strike zone. Did a great job. Yes, he did. Austin Voth now with the O's, 14 games including 10 starts, 48 innings, an ERA of 2.81. Yeah, he has an ERA under three. You know, Voth in his previous start flirted with a no-hitter. Voth in the Orioles' 10-3 win at the Tampa Bay Rays this past Friday night. Two runs in five and a third innings. He began the outing with five no-hit innings. Uh, You by now probably are familiar with the Austin Voth tale. Uh, The O's on June 7th claim Voth off waivers from the Nats. Uh, Voth for the Nats in the 2022 regular season, had an ERA of 10-13 in 18 and two-thirds innings over 19 games. Both for the Nats over four-plus major league regular seasons, 2018 to 2022, had an ERA of 570 over 181 and two-thirds innings. I cannot stress this enough. Uh, the Nats should be like holding internal meetings about what the O's are doing with both that the Nats did not do with Voth, and what the Nats can learn from what the O's are doing with Voth. Uh, This is putting the Nats to shame. They had Voth for years, got basically nothing out of him, and now he's killing it for the O's. Like, it's not just that he's better with the O's, he is killing it for the O's, and the O's compete 
in the toughest division in MLB in the American League East. Like, it's not like Voth is uh, fattening up his stats facing a bunch of patsies. Like, no, Voth is pitching in the cauldron that is the AL East, and he has an ERA under three. When I've talked about there being something systemically wrong with the Nats, this is what I'm talking about. What are the O's doing in terms of analytics and player development that the Nats aren't doing? This is what the Nats have got to figure out. And how about the O's, man, becoming, dare I say, a model of analytics and player development and maximizing player performance? Because just a few years ago, the O's were the team that didn't know what to do with guys and saw those guys thrive elsewhere. Uh, See starting pitcher Jake Arrieta with the Chicago Cubs. Uh, Speaking of the Cubs, uh, next up for the O's is a one-game makeup against the Cubs, who just won two or three games at Nationals Park. Uh, O's Cubs at Oriole Park at Camden Yards Thursday afternoon at 3.05. Spencer Watkins will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 380, will feature a special guest talking commanders, the DOC, former Redskins tight end, Rick Doc Walker, the host of the Doc Walker podcast, my former tag team partner on radio. He stole the show with his work as the in-game analyst for the NBC Sports Washington telecast of the Commander's preseason opening loss to the Carolina Panthers at FedEx Field this past Saturday afternoon. There was a lot of conversation about Doc's work on that telecast, and for good reason. And so, the DOC will be on this podcast to go in-depth on the Commanders as we get set for their second preseason game at the Kansas City Chiefs this Sunday afternoon at 4. Doc Walker will be on Friday's installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Also, 2022 Commander's training camp technically is ending on Thursday, so we'll get into anything of note from the final day of Commander's camp, and I'll talk Nationals and Orioles, and that's on Thursday night at 9.40. We'll begin game one of a four-game series at the San Diego Padres. The O's on Thursday afternoon at 3.05 will begin a makeup game against the Chicago Cubs at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. So have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. Uh, Brad, the King's done a really nice job. He's a heavy-handed guy that's physical. Um, Rotumi, Rotumi Bumi is also a, a heavy-handed guy who's physical as well. 